I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson. Today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter, chapter 23. We're going to be reading verses 39 through 43. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since, you're under the, since we are under the same sense of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Recently, we were doing some uh, cleaning around the house, kind of, I guess maybe it was spring cleaning. I don't know what it was, but we were cleaning out a lot of stuff, chunking a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's always fun when your household is divided, when you've got one person in your household who's very sentimental and wants to keep everything, and the other, sp- and the other person, will th- if it's not moving, will throw it away. That's me and Holly. I'm the sentimental sap who keeps everything. Every I have cards people have written to me going back to high school because I'm so sentimental. Whereas she, if I don't move every so often, I think she'll probably throw me away. That's kind of how our marriage works. So we were um, cleaning. I was cleaning the other day, and I found in our computer room, I found some old floppy disk. Uh, that go back to sit. All my old seminary papers were on there, and a lot of my early sermons were on there. And I was so excited to find them because I thought I'd lost them, and I had all these old seminary papers. And now I've got a. And looking back, I thought they were pretty good. I'm sure they weren't, but I'd like to go back and read them to sound how see how dumb I sounded. But I can't. I can't find a floppy drive. That's my problem. So you know, no computers have floppy drives anymore. So if any of you have a floppy drive, let me know. I would like to get access to these old papers. But that got me thinking about some of my old sermons I used to write. So I, I keep every, every sermon I write. So I went back and looked at some of my sermons from my time in the Delta. And the first thing I just wanted to do was just write a note to my first churches and apologize. Because God bless them, y'all. I'm not saying I'm any good now, but I was bad then. I, those poor folks sat underneath some bad sermons. Bless their hearts. You know, and I've always believed I make up for what I lack in quality, I make up for in volume. It's kind of my work. In, if you're going to be bad, at least be bad and loud. It's kind of how I've always tried to operate. So, but I was going back and reading some of my old sermons. It was very interesting to go back and, and read old sermons. Wesley said a preacher should burn his sermons every seven years. Because they should be improving. And if you're not a better preacher now than you were seven years past, you're not being faithful. So uh, I went back and looked at my old sermons, and it was interesting, y'all. It was just so interesting how, and maybe this was youth, maybe this was naivete, I don't know what it was. I did not preach much on heaven when I was younger. I really didn't. I, I did not preach much on heaven. And in fact, honestly, it seems like finding my old stuff, when I preached on heaven, I almost preached it in a way... Where, and I do believe this still, but it was just interesting to read it, where I focus a lot on how sometimes as Christians, we can be so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. I, I used to say that a lot, where sometimes we can get so focused, and I do believe this, I do believe there are times we can get so focused on what is to come, and so focused on what God has for us in heaven, that we can neglect the fact that we're sitting here right now. 
And God has given us breath in our lungs. And God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear and souls to receive. And I truly believe with all that I am that God does not want us to waste a minute that God has given to us in this time now. I believe that. And, and y'all, I, 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 Andy Stoddard, Andy Stoddard does not want to get to heaven and tell God, yeah, God, I could have done more for your kingdom, but I just didn't want to. I don't want to tell him that. I don't want to stand before a holy God and tell him that I could have done more for his kingdom, but I just didn't want to put forth the effort. I don't want to do that. So I do believe that sometimes we can get so focused on, on heaven that we, miss, that we miss the opportunity that God has given us each day to wring the life out of that day that God has given us. I do believe that. But I will say, as I've gotten older, and as I have, uh, as, maybe as I've experienced more human frailty in myself, um, I, I now come to believe that I may have been a little bit uh, too youthful in my, my, my wisdom. Because, um, y'all, as much as I love heaven and can't wait to get there, I, I mean, as much as I love life and want to live this life fully, if you're telling me there's going to be a place where I don't have to wake up in the morning to come on the TV and seeing civilians being bombed, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to go there. If you're going to tell me I can go to a place where, uh, where, where you don't have to buy, where Kleenex is put out of business because he will wipe away every tear from our eye. If you're telling me I can go to a place where there are no oncologists or cardiologists required because death is no more, yeah, I would sign up for that. The older I get and the more I have seen the ravages of life and how hard it can be and the struggles. You're telling, you're telling me I can go to a place where we don't have to have our kids make up blessing bags for the homeless in our community because there is no more homeless and there is no more poverty and there is no more sin and there is no more hate and there is no more pride and there is more, the more, more greed. Yeah, I'll sign up for that right now. The older I've gotten and the more I've seen the frailty of life and the struggles of life, and in fact, the more I've seen my own frailty and my own mistakes and my own weakness, I can't wait to go to a place where there is no more sin, death, and the grave, and it has been forever defeated by Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to go to heaven. I can't wait. As Kim said so beautifully during our, our children's moment, we're in the season of Lent. And during the season of Lent, we're going to be focusing on a series we're calling Last Words. We're in, the, in the sermons, we're going to be looking specifically at the last words of Jesus upon the cross. What were the last sayings of Jesus upon the cross? On Ash Wednesday, we talked about uh, the first thing that he said upon the cross, which is when he was being nailed to the cross... He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that, that's such a, isn't it so interesting that of all the things that Christ could start his, his discourse on the cross with, that first he starts off with forgiveness. That he starts off first with saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that's such, a, such an interesting thing to me because as I thought about that Wednesday night, I thought about the fact that not only does, not only has our sin wounded and and, 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 and hurt God and caused a rift 
between God and us. That sin has divided us from God, not just Adam and Eve's original sin, but our sin each day. That has created a wall between us and God, and God is the one harmed by our sin. So not only has Jesus Christ forgiven us, but he has done the work necessary to give our forgiveness. The fact that he was being nailed to the cross made the forgiveness that he spoke possible. Not only has Jesus forgiven us, but Jesus has done the work necessary to forgive us. Wow! That's how great his love is for us, that he wants us back so bad that he did the work for us to bring us back home. When he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, the thing they were doing was the very act that made their forgiveness possible. Yeah, wow. Today, we see this scene here with the thief on the cross. And this day, you'll be with me in paradise. So I want to unpack a couple things happening here. First, I want to talk about the cross. Um, Kim talked about how the crosses you see in the church. You can look and see several crosses all across the church. And um, it's interesting. uh, Of all the ways that we humans have devised to kill each other, I don't know if there's a worse one than the cross. I don't know if there's a worse method of execution that humans have ever come up with worse than the cross. You die by a combination of asphyxiation because you can't breathe and your lungs fill with fluid. You die from heat stroke because the sun's beating down upon you. Uh, you die of starvation, um, die of blood loss. It's, it's, a ter- it's a terrible way to die. And the cross is interesting. Um, it's an interesting mode of ex- execution that Rome used. Um, I, I may have shared the story with you before, but my, my granny Blanche Bigner, um, she was my, my grandmother's mother. Um, she was, died in 06, no, died in 98. Um, she, um, she was a little bitty and mean my entire life, and I loved her deeply. Uh, she had a wood stove at her house. And if, y'all, if you've never sat in a room with a wood stove, that thing will run you out. It gets so hot. Loved it. Um, but Granny had pecan trees. And every year when the pecan trees start making, there would be some crows that would come start eating her pecan trees. So what my Granny would do every year is she'd get her twenty-two rifle out. She'd shoot a crow. She'd get a rope of twine. And then she would hang the crow from the tree. I guess as a warning to the other crows, I'm not quite sure why she did it. It always confused me that my granny attributed higher level thinking to crows. I don't know. But I always said she was making an example of the crows messed with Blanche Bigner's pecans. And this is what awaits you. A little bitty old lady with her 22 rifles what awaits you, I guess. So... She was made an example of the crow, that one crow for the rest of the crows to see. That's what the cross was. Rome did not execute everyone upon the cross. The cross was reserved for terrorists and revolutionaries and folks like that. Rome used the cross to make an example of people. What was Jesus charged with by the Roman authorities? He is king of the Jews. He is a revolutionary trying to overthrow Caesar. What did the religious leaders say at one point? We we have no king but Caesar. The, The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to be seen as a revolutionary, trying to start a war, trying to start a earthly kingdom. 
That's why Jesus says, my kingdom is now this world. So Rome only executed the folks on the cross that they were making an example of. Remember the movie Spartacus? How it ended? Crosses as far as you could see with people upon them. Rome did. The cross was not in Slumback Alley. They, they put the cross right outside the city gate. The cross would have been a Walmart. The cross would have been a Strawberry Patch Park. The, star, the cross would have been at the entrance to Madison City. Like, the cross was not hidden. The cross was out where everyone could see it because Rome was making an example of you. They didn't crucify you for jaywalking. They crucified you for something big. So notice the two guys that were arguing. One guy says to Jesus, hey, 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 save yourself. Uh, and, you know, while you're at it, save us too. The other guy said, dude, dude, we're getting what we deserve. We've earned this. We've earned this. We're going to die. And we're getting what we deserve. But that guy didn't. That guy didn't do a thing to deserve this. He was set up. He didn't do anything to deserve this. So we see the conversation take place. And I think there's two things we can take away from this conversation. First, the thief on the cross recognized that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. Because he knew they were going to die. You don't come back from the cross. It's not a flesh wound. You're going to die. They're going to break your legs and you're going to die. Once you get up there, you're not coming down. But yet he looks at Jesus and says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He realized that in that day, Jesus Christ was coming to a kingdom, but that kingdom was not of this world. A kingdom of this world was too small for Jesus. Jesus was not coming for a temporary blip of time. Jesus was not coming for the temporal things of this world. Jesus Christ was coming to redeem the people from their sins. As John the Baptist said when Jesus walked by, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was not coming for the temporal, ordinary, earthly things. He was coming for the cosmic purpose of redeeming humanity from their sins so that all who believe upon him would be saved. His kingdom is not of this world. As he told, as he told Pilate, if it were so, my people would fight against you. But his kingdom was not of this world. This thief realized that Jesus' point was not earthly. Jesus' point was heavenly. And his kingdom was eternal, not temporary. C.S. Lewis says, aim at earth, you'll miss heaven. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Jesus' kingdom was heavenly, y'all. We've got to stop aiming at earthly things. This thief was not aiming at earthly things. He understood they were going to die in a matter of minutes. But that, yes, Jesus had a kingdom, and that kingdom was not of this world. If we only set our eyes on earthly goals and earthly things, 
in earthly pleasures, in earthly achievements, in earthly wealth, in earthly power, then we will miss the very reason we exist. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? This thief understood a lesson that the Pharisees didn't, that the religious leaders didn't. They understood that Jesus had a kingdom, and that kingdom was not of this world. That's the first thing he realized. The second thing he realized is that Jesus is Lord of this kingdom, because he says, when you come into your kingdom, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one of God, guys, one of the things I can't take, I, I, I see every time I read scripture, is when you look in the story of Jesus, look who realized Jesus was Lord so often. And look who missed it. We have this thief on the cross realizing that Jesus is Lord. The religious leaders missed it, didn't they? We see the wise men come from far away to observe the birth of Christ. But the religious leaders missed it, didn't they? So many people realized that Jesus was Lord because they were looking for him. The question is in our life, are we even looking for Jesus to be Lord of our life? Y'all, I don't want Jesus to be Lord of my life because I'm selfish and prideful. I want to be Lord of my life. I want to do what I want to do. Because, like, Jesus isn't going to call me to do stuff that I don't want to do. He's going to call me to love my enemies. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't like them. I want to do what I want to do. I, I want Jesus to be my co-pilot, not my pilot. Because if we're going to be honest about it, y'all, we want to be in charge of our life. We want just enough Jesus to get into heaven, but not enough Jesus to change our lives. Sometimes we approach our faith like the college freshman. Ooh, 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 ooh. Is this going to be on the test? Because when you ask if this is going to be on the test, you're asking, okay, do I need to pay attention to this or not? Because it's not going to be on the test. I'm not paying attention. Ooh, 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 ooh. Do I have to do this to get into heaven? What, what's, what's the bare minimum I've got to do to get into heaven? Just tell me the bare minimum. Give me the bare minimum, and I'll do that, and then I'm cool. We want just enough Jesus to get into heaven, but not enough Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Tim Keller says, we want Jesus as an advisor, not as a Lord. You take advice from your advisor. Your Lord directs your paths. You know, everybody in college rebels against their family and, you know, uh, kind of does stuff to make their parents mad. So I rebelled against my family in college. I joined the Baptist church. And um, when I was at First Baptist Jackson years ago, I'll never forget one of my Sunday school teachers. She says, she said, you can't say the phrase, no, Lord. Because if you can say no, then he is not your Lord. This thief on the cross realized that Jesus had a kingdom and that he was Lord of that kingdom. Y'all, and that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to submit your life to the will and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow him, to be a little Christ. 
Is he our Lord? In control of our schedule, our finances, our emotions, our heart, our resources? Or is he simply an advisor we turn to for advice when we need him? But other than that, we don't really want him in our business. This thief realized that Jesus was Lord. And so we see then what happens. What does Jesus say? That this day you'll be with me in paradise. You know, we talk a little bit about um, kind of, so the two things the thief realized were that he had a kingdom and that he was Lord. He had a, he had a kingdom out of this world and that he was Lord of that kingdom. I think the two after effects we see are this, what salvation really is. You know, somebody would say, somebody would say well, the deathbed uh, the, the, the deathbed conversions count. You know, everybody gets saved on their deathbed. Does that count? The way I look at it is this. It's the way we look at sal- salvation. It's not something we earn. Salvation is something we receive. And so, yes, if Jesus Christ changes your heart in your last breath, then, yeah, you're going to heaven. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Salvation is not about ritual acts. Salvation is not about doing the right thing. Salvation is about receiving the gift of Jesus Christ's life and grace. That's what salvation is. So yes, this thief on the cross drew his last, his next breath in heaven when he woke up because he had been changed by Jesus Christ. Salvation is a change of your life. He had been changed and redeemed. So yes, he woke up in heaven. And a deathbed conversion wakes up in heaven. Whether you're saved at five years old or 55 years old or 105 years old, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you've accepted Jesus. Now that said, going through the motions and just saying what the church says and doing what the church says doesn't mean you're a Christian. To be a Christian is to submit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord. That's what he desires for us. Not the rituals of religion. I love the rituals of religion. I'm a Methodist. I love our rituals. But Jesus Christ saves you, not the stuff of church. So we see here that this thief realized that and accepted Christ as his Lord. And then Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So the the Bible tells us to be absent from the bodies to be with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies to be with the Lord. So I don't understand the stuff of heaven. I'm not smart enough. I've never been to heaven. I've eaten lunch at the Bogotá truck stop. That's pretty close, but I've never been to heaven. So I don't understand all the intricacies of heaven or all the stuff of heaven, but I'll tell you what makes heaven heaven and why this man woke up in paradise. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that you're fully with God. Guys, you've had in your moment, you've had in your life a moment where you fully experienced God, hadn't you? You've had at least one moment, at least one moment where you felt the full power of God. You had the hairs raised in the back of your neck, the whole nine yards. You've had, everyone here has had at least one of those moments where you felt the presence and the power of God. Y'all, that's a foretaste of heaven. That's a mini cupcake. That's not even a real cupcake. That's not even a real cake. That's just a taste of it. That's what heaven's going to be like for all of eternity. That glorious understanding of being completely with God and always with God. That's what it is. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that God is fully there. What makes hell hell is the fact that God is absent. When we draw our last breath here upon the earth, we see today this thief on the cross 
that this day, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. This day. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. This life's not the end, y'all. If we can live our life with that understanding, it'll change our lives. Because the thing right now, you know, you know that thing right now that's weighing heavy on you? You got one. We all do. You, that thing right now that's weighing heavy on you, that's taking your peace and robbing your joy, crippling your soul, what is that in the light of eternity? Nothing. 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 When we, C.S. Lewis says, it is, since we have, it is since we have come to disbelieve as much in the life to come that we've become so ineffectual in the life that is now. I'm not worried about this life, y'all. I'm not worried about this world. I got something better coming. I've already ordered my tiramisu. It's coming. It's on the way. Can't wait. It's going to be good. Now I'm going to enjoy this entree while I'm waiting on it. But I got something good coming. And I can't wait. This thief understood that there was something better coming. And in his last breath, he made that decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of his life. And this day, he was with him in paradise. Y'all, of all the stuff we can do in our life, of all the stuff we can do, the most important thing we can do is to make sure that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. Not our advisor, not our co-pilot, but our Lord. That's his desire for us. And by his grace, may it be what we aspire to. Let's pray.